Welcome to the Coaching in Clubland podcast. My name is Mitch Johnston and I'll be your host. Coaching in Clubland is an Aussie podcast designed for current and aspiring coaches from all levels and across a range of sports to share their experiences about the caper. We discuss the roller coaster that is the coaching experience, the highs, the lows, the joys and the pitfalls. I caught the coaching bug as a teenager and have been fortunate enough to hold various coaching roles within cricket and footy clubs over the last 15 years. Through these experiences and my interactions as a player, I've come across many great and some not so great coaches in Clubland. We'll aim to keep things simple, practical and relatable so that you can apply these insights to your own coaching experiences. Sit back, grab a cuppa and please enjoy the episode. In this episode of Coaching in Clubland, we speak to Grant Weir. Grant is a former Australian baseballer who represented Australia in the 1988 Seoul Olympics. He's a life member of the Victorian Baseball Association and represented the Mighty Vicks and the Claxton Shield in the mid-80s. He both played for and coached the Melbourne Monarchs in the now-defunct Australian Baseball League. He's also been an Australian scout for American MLB teams such as the Houston Astros, Toronto Blue Jays, Los Angeles Angels and the Baltimore Orioles. Grant has also been a fielding consultant for cricket clubs for over 25 years and someone I have engaged with in my head coach roles with both the Essendon and Yarraville Club cricket clubs. In our chat, we talk about what we can learn from our American counterparts, the importance of being passionate and some of the key attributes to effective talent identification. Grant Weir, welcome to the Coaching in Clubland podcast. Thanks, Mitch. Uh, really, really happy to be here. Now, Grant, at the time of recording, the Bulldogs have registered a 111-point win against the hapless Saints, but I do understand that you're doing some work with the Richmond Institute, which is an arm of the Richmond Footy Club. Uh, that must be a bit of a conflict there for you. Ah, dear, no conflict there. So, yeah, not many people know Richmond um, Football Club have got an education or they've got a school called the Richmond Institute. It's attached to Swinburne, um, Diploma of Sport Leadership, I run um, oh, a couple of programs. I've just been there four months. So, yeah, so I'm in doctor. I bought a membership, Mitch. I thought I'd better become a member of um, Richmond. They're flying over there. Really great culture. That's fantastic to hear. And I guess my relationship with Grant started when I first caught the coaching bug as a 16-year-old, starting out at the Essendon Cricket Club, and Grant was our fielding coach. Um, and one thing that was really noticeable for me was his passion and energy, particularly when providing instruction, modelling and facilitating discussion. So Grant, where does your passion and energy stem from in regards to coaching and how do you maintain the rage? Yeah, no, some have called me a maniac. Some have said I've got great passion. And um, no, I haven't, uh, I haven't lost that passion. I think it just become, it's just the joy of being out on the, on the field. Yeah, no, I've always had it. And I think it's I think it comes from that passion for the sport. But I'm not sure that you can coach unless you've got unless you have that got that great passion. You don't have to bring it every every time. But especially with me, with like I'm normally now with my coaching doing one offs or two offs or three offs or a set of six, not a whole season. Yeah, I think it's important. And look, most of the time it's natural, but sometimes I've just got to click my little button and you know, I might be feeling a bit a bit seedy or a bit whatever. And um, yeah, I I can um, fake it at that point. I find it really refreshing because a lot of coaches are trying to be, I think in this day and age, very understated, calm and collected at risk of not showing too much, you know, emotional investment. But I think the way you you tackle your your drills and uh, instruction is is actually, yeah, really refreshing as I I suggest. Well, sorry, just back on that one, Mitch, I, I, I should preface it by, or I should have prefaced it by saying, or add on, but my last couple of years of coaching at, at a club, I think I was on game day during the game. And, you know, baseball's a little different to, to cricket. Yeah. You've got more of a hand. But I think I was probably a bit too passionate okay. and a bit too intense. And I, 
I felt that that was not what was needed. So it was okay training, but then I was getting a bit too intense during the game. And that's when I, I stepped aside at that point. And I guess after a time that would become quite draining as well. Well, it was draining for the players. Yeah. Not just draining for me. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was draining for the players and they just needed a little bit of that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I was becoming a little bit of a grumpy old man during the games. Yeah, I was, I was great at training. And that ability for introspection and reflection is, I think, a really important aspect of coaching. Uh, and the fact that you've acknowledged that and, you know, willing to concede on that, on that front is, is, I think, a really important aspect and, and that, you, you know, you are vulnerable and willing to evolve and change. Now, I want to drill down into your connection with American sport. Obviously, baseball is your, your background and coaching in America. So I think coaches generally are held in high regard in America compared to their Australian and European counterparts. Uh, we see that through film and literature and coaches are perceived there compared to perhaps uh, in other places. So uh, how has the, the role of the coach become so revered in America? And conversely, are coaches respected enough in Australia and Europe? You had sent me this question. Um, so you, you, you've done your prep and I had a look at it and I went, I don't know how to answer it. I think a lot of it's a bit fake. You know, the fact that everyone, it, a lot of the time they'll call them coach and it's revered, but I'm, I'm not sure whether sometimes it's really sincere. Uh, it is just this title. And so because of the title, because I have seen some shocking coaches in America, um, in American, especially at um, high school level, you know, college level a little bit. And then I've seen some not so great coaches at professional level. Now, along the way, I've seen some magnificent coaches. But mate, there is tens of thousands of them. So you're going to get some not so good ones. And then what I've found also, yeah, I've seen some, some fantastic ones. The ones down the, the bottom a little bit, I think, who, are try, who think they've, they've got a pathway, they try to get gimmicky. They'll try and get something that's theirs and attach themselves to a drill or an act, you know, something instead of, you know, trying to play it sort of level along the way, you know, with the fundamentals. So I think there's that. And then, yeah, I think there's a bit too much rah, rah, rah stuff, especially in baseball at the lower levels, not so much at the professional levels. There's great connections there. There's lots of them. But, you know, some of the coaches here in Australia are, you know, are more than up to that standard. And, especially at the community level. I mean, they don't have community sports so much. You know, it's normally just you going to high school and going to college, um, which I think is a shame. But, um, you know, some of our coaches at our club land are, are really good, but then others are just come straight out of playing, straight into coaching with, with no uh, background at all, no education at all. And I, I think that's where we fall down a little bit. So you see coaches over there that probably haven't played at the highest level all the time, whereas here when you have coaches that are trying to make their way in the AFL that might not have played at the top level, like a Brendan Bolton or a Brendan McCartney, you know, they, they sort of struggle for that recognition and respect. Why is it easier for a coach in America to, to gain that respect of, of their athletes? I think it comes through that school model. You know, a lot of them have come through, through the college program. And in that college program or junior college, through to college, you just, as soon as you're given the title, almost, you get that respect. I mean, you've then got to lead by your actions. But if you do lead by your actions, you, you've got that respect already. And I think that then helps you up the pathway, regardless of whether you've played, you know, played or not. See little white basketball coaches, you know, coaching coaching at college level. I mean, they've never played before in their life. Or they might have played, like, you know, at a really low level against these super, you know, coaching these super um, seven-foot athletes. And I, th I think there's a little bit, yeah, you get it because you put the coach hat on. 
and then you've got to show it with your actions. And, and some of those coaches are the most prepared coaches I've ever seen in my life. I think we'll get on to this in a moment at some point about being OCD, you know, about just being there at, at this point in, um, as you go up high in the ranks with coaching that, you know, they'll pride themselves that they'll, you know, they'll, um, you know, work 18 hours a day, that they'll sleep four hours, they'll sleep in their office. That that's They get their respect somewhat from that, which, you know, maybe is good, maybe is bad. So they sort of out-hustle and outwork their counterparts and, you know, their meticulous preparation means that they feel more comfortable in, I guess, you know, driving a program, which I think if you haven't played at that top level, you have to outwork your competitors. Um, yeah, it's interesting though, is that, you know, say you've got 12 teams in your conference, are you all outworking each other? Mm. So is the team that outworks the, the other 11 wins? You can't all outwork everyone. Yeah. So it's a little, you know, I find it a little disgenuous i think okay. at some point not that hard work doesn't is not going to get you there of course it will but like i, I hear phrases like i oh, will just whatever it takes we'll, we'll get it done you know famous uh Essendon line I yeah. Think. Um, <laughs> yeah i mean yeah it's I, or i remember scouting as a player uh sorry it's when i was scouting and i remember my my boss said we'll get this guy no matter what we'll out we'll outwork everyone we'll outwork well we didn't get the player so what happened you know, or you know, the other phase that I hear is we can't tolerate that. We just won't tolerate that. And I go, okay, well, that's fine. What's the consequence or what are you going to do about it? You just can't have words come out. There's got to be actions to those words. You know, we can't tolerate that. Well, what are you going to do? Sack the player? Oh, no, we can't sack him or sack her. Well, okay, well, don't don't use that phrase then. We might get onto that too. The, the words coaching, the words coming out of coaches' mouths are the most important thing that can ever happen and and you better be careful with what comes out of your mouth. Uh, particularly with modern athletes, I think being probably a little more sensitive than previous generations and, and you know, resilience and mental health issues are uh, very apparent in society these days. So I guess the way coaches communicate and the ability to, to give that little clip or spray is probably um, you don't have that uh, ability to go to that uh, to that gear as often as coaches once did. So I think it's really important knowing. Yeah, that. and I think you can just do it in a different way. I mean, you can give you can give a pretty severe clip along the way, but it can be done maybe in a different way than it used to be. And, and one sort of mantra that I like to live by, ideally, uh, we all have our moments where we stray from that, but sort of praise loudly and criticise softly. And I think um, the ability to give feedback. You know, while maybe even giving an arm around the player and, and uh, bringing them in and uh, giving them some comfort, but still having that direct message is a really important skill. Yeah, and, and now we talk about, you know, we, if we're criticising, we're criticising the action or we're criticising the, you know, what has happened rather than we're not criticising you as the, the individual, you're a good fella, but, you know, we're criticising your where you kick the ball or where you, you know, threw the ball, et cetera. So I think that's another really good one to, to go by. So you spoke about the motivational aspect of, you know, the way American coaches operate. Is there anything else that we can learn from them and, and vice versa they can learn from us in terms of the way our coaches operate? I think that they, their motivation, especially at a lower level, not so much now, is that rah-rah stuff, that, that huddle and this whole team thing and yelling and screaming and, you know, rah. And you see it in, in those movies, don't you? Not so much in baseball because baseball's a grind. You know, baseball's 100 games over 98. In the minor leagues, you know, it's 162 games in baseball in the, at the professional level plus exhibition game, 200 games. So you can't rah, rah, rah. 
But in other sports, I see it, you know, and it's good for some, but it's not good for others. And I think they're starting, I think we were sort of the first to become a little bit more specific about that motivation to that individual over there or that individual over there. And, you know, we've got away from, the, you know, in the footy change rooms where it was, you know, Queens, we will rock you, just flaring through the speakers. And But you've got one person who just wants to go in the training room and get away from that. So now everyone's got headphones, so you can listen to whatever you want or you can chat or not chat or listen to music, not listen to music. And I think we, we got pretty good at that reasonably early, about the 80s, where we saw that one size did not fit all in the motivation stakes. Just changing gear a little bit, You've been a talent scout for several MLB teams. When assessing talent, do you look firstly at the ability and the, and the um, upside of the player and then the personal attributes or vice versa? I see the ability. So I'll see someone on the field. Now, I might not know them. I don't know their parents. I, don't, I just see, see an athlete or, and, or, and or a baseballer. So I see long limbs. I see good actions. I see speed. I see power. I see, you know, whatever I see. And then from there, I start to investigate um, and then match the two up. So I would then, if I'm starting to be interested in that in that kid, I would get to, I'd go to the next game, but I would get there before everyone would get there. Now, I would see if he, he turned up early. I would see how he warmed up. I would see his interaction with his teammates. You know, I would, I would then start to get to know him a little bit without even meeting him. You know, so if he, he arrives late and, you know, he doesn't warm up properly, you know, that starts to tell me some things. But the first thing you see is the athlete, um, you know, the baseballer or the, or, the sports, or the sports kid at that point. Then you get to know them. And, and then, you know, you, then you start and like think, well, okay, they, he might have these traits, but can we change them? Um, he, he might have come out of a poor program. But ultimately, it's, it's the combination of the two in the end. Baseball's very data-rich. What role does data play in, in talent ID for you or is it more of that feel and, and gut feel? So most of, most of your audience will have either watched or, or read Moneyball um, and Moneyball is now a term that's used. It's just generic. We use it in AFL either. You know, we'll, we'll get a Moneyball player. Well, baseball, you know, was that in the 90s through Billy Bean and the Oakland A's started all of this. I was talking to um, John Deedle the other day, um, who is a, a great friend of mine, director of the Los Angeles Dodgers, so Australian, and he said they had, I think it was 25 analysts sitting in at the Dodgers just analysing data. And it's some of the decisions that you see a coach or manager in baseball make when you're watching a game on television now, they will be driven by data. I haven't been scouting now for a few months, COVID, cut my enormous salary you know it was interesting they're paying players like 25 million a year and they cut my x amount salary because of covid so (laughs) but even in that six month period if i went back now i would have to start to do a course in the um the data that we get in because you know something like like rotation on the pitch so the rotation the angle of rotation and the speed of rotation or the rotations per second is now almost this the number one data that we'll look at if we're looking at a picture. Right. And now I'll visually see the person, but I'll go, all right, get the Rhapsody, oh, that's the machine, get the Rhapsody data on this on this player. Uh, and they will then scout from there. Has it gone too far? You know, the use of uh, data and inability for coaches and, and scouts to identify things naturally, trends in games and 
react according. Like I know that with my work as a teacher that, you know, data is everything. And then when I get to my interactions, at, you know, in club land that I sort of want to veer away from that and, and almost, you know, just coach naturally without those uh, limitations and hurdles and, and being too data heavy. Has the, has the balance shifted too far? Um, some would say yes, but some of the scouts didn't shift either. So you had 60, 70-year-old scouts um, using terminology, so they didn't shift. The, the, the scouts who then shifted to actually embrace the data and, and then you combine the two, I think that's where we, we did really well. You know, there were scouts who were resistant to the data and you can't do that. But then there were some clubs who would then say, we don't need scouts at all. We'll just go totally off the data. Well, that's not going to work either. So you would hear scouts say this, Mitch. You, old scouts, they go, oh, they'd be looking to play. They go, oh, that kid's got a good face. And you go, you know, what, what's that? <laughs> good face, you know? And, and it is the line in Moneyball where one of the scouts goes, oh, he, his girlfriend's a five, which is a horrible statement in the, in the first place. His girlfriend's a five. And the other guy goes, what does that mean? He goes, he lacks confidence. His girl should, girlfriend should be an eight. Now, they're, they're scouting a player on this sort of rubbish. Wow. So you can see where data had to come in at some point. Very subjective judgments. Yeah, very. Now, now, Grant, you've straddled between playing, coaching and administration over the last 35 years and uh, it's a wonderful legacy that you've got there. Which, which roles have given you the most satisfaction? The role that I was in at the time gave me the most satisfaction. I, I, I don't think I could choose. Probably playing because that was a thrill, you know. Uh, but I did some things in, in work and I'm still doing some things like last Wednesday at a class that was one of my, this amazing class with these year 11 and 12 trainees, um, which is another course that we run. And I walked out of that class just thinking, oh, how, how good was this? We've hit, these kids have got it. You know, I was really amazed by it. And then coaching-wise, yeah, some thrills that I've had along the way. But when it all boils down, it was, it was playing. It was the thrill of the, thrill of the, the win uh, at whatever level it was. It was just exciting and, I, you know, I, I just lived for it. Where we were, I was never full. I was never a, a full-time athlete, um, so there was there was years and years and years of you know six, seven days a week of leaving work, going to training, leaving work, going to training. But I wouldn't have swapped that for anything. And it's a challenge that I'm sort of going through at the moment. I've, I've had the coaching bug for about 15 years, and you know, been fortunate enough to coach Premier Cricket and the like. But turning 32 in a couple of months, and still love uh, rolling out those straight breaks and, and getting out there and being a weekend warrior. Uh, I think it's important that, you know, you play as long as you can and then coaching is going to be there for a long time and, you know, you're a long time retired, I reckon. Yeah, definitely. Just keep going. And especially in a, in a sport like cricket, which, you know, I love cricket. I, when I was growing up, I was the most, out of any sport, I was the most passionate about cricket because I saw it on television and I played up until I was 16 or 17 until I probably worked out I wasn't going to, um, I was going to play for Australia and baseball sort of took over. But, I, I admire cricketers. So there was a was there a cricketer on the news last week or something? He was ninety two. You know, he's still he's still mm. going. You know, and, and to roll up every Tuesday and Thursday night for forty years or thirty years or twenty years, and then roll up at the game, it freaks me out with admiration of, of these um, you know men and women who do that. Uh, old old uh, old mate's ninety two and uh, he's got sixty years on me and I can't walk during the week so I'm not sure what I'll be like at ninety two. <laughs> exactly. What are some of the challenges in being a coaching consultant? You know, I've engaged you, Grant, with Yes and Create Club and and Yarraville Club Create Club as well as a fielding consultant. What what are some of the challenges in not having a regular attachment with 
those clubs and seeing those athletes or players day to day? Look, the challenge is for me. I think I don't think it's for the. I think the players get a, a fair bit out of that um, that hour or two that I'm with them. You know, maybe by a couple of sessions. Obviously, the challenge is that I then go back maybe two years later and nothing's changed. That's the biggest challenge that you don't or a little's changed. So you think you've got it across, you think you they've got it, and then that from year to year nothing changes. They go back to their old habits. So that's the that's a major challenge. But but the biggest challenge for me is is then being involved in that club for a night or two nights, but then not being involved in in a club again. So I, I actually miss being involved in a club. One of the reasons I think I went back to Essendon originally when you were a young fella was that I'd been out of it. I, I it was Cully who got me back there, and I, I loved being at the club. You know, I loved being around a banter. I loved being around, you know, that bunch of guys and uh, that type of thing. So I miss that a little bit. But, yeah, one or two sessions is tough to make any change over a long period of time. And I guess it's a matter of the coaches that are there regularly monitoring that improvement and making sure there's implementation of the things that you're suggesting so that there is, you know, maximum bang for buck. Yeah, and look, I'll go to a club and run a like a one or two off session, and I'll 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 say you know I'd love the coaches to come over. Yeah, 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 and then they're off running nets or whatever. So I just you know I'm with a bunch of blokes and we get stuff done, and they get they get fairly instant changes. You know, we can change it fairly easily, but then the next week they're not going to do their long toss program when throwing. They you know they just go back to what they were doing because the coaches weren't there to make any changes. And and Grant, final question. Obviously, you've got an education background as well, but what are some of the traits and qualities that are transferable between being a coach and an educator? They're all trained. They are one in the same. They are absolutely one in the same. And look, probably the one that I have oh, gravitated to over the years, I always knew it was that I can't, I can't teach anyone to do anything. I'm not, I'm not that person. My job as a coach or educator is to create an environment whereby that person learns that themselves. And um, if I can do that and they walk away going, oh, I, I learned that myself because that's how you get, you're more likely to retain it, you're more likely to get, you know, something out of it if you think you've, you've done that. Now, my job as the educator or coach is to, is to get you to do that by, you know, whatever means that might be. It might be questioning, it might be just putting you in a position where the only thing you can do is the right thing. And I think that's... Um, that's the number one trade for me. But teachers, coaches, they're all the same. Weary, it's been awesome having a chat to you. Obviously, we're going to catch up in a, in a few weeks' time down at Yarraville Club Cricket Club for pre-season. You'll be putting the boys and myself through our paces. Thanks for your time this morning, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Yeah, thanks, Mitch. And, uh, and good luck with the, uh, with the new podcast. It's going to be an absolute ripper, I reckon. Thanks, Weary. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of Coaching Clubland. A shout-out to the talented Aidan Arandes for putting together our podcast theme song. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Feel free to leave a rating and review. To catch the latest updates from the podcast, check us out on Facebook or on Twitter at Coaching Club Pod. Thanks again and catch you around in Clubland.